Welcome to another episode of Coffee Roaster Warm-Up Sessions and today we're going to be talking about green coffee. What goes into our green coffee buying decisions? How do we know which coffee to buy? What are we looking out for? And uh, all the intricacies and also the complications of uh, what that looks like, especially for a small roasting company like us. So let's get right into it. But first off, pour it up. That's right. What is this? Uh, this is a Ethiopian Bonco roasted by Boldine. Good friend of mine that I started in coffee with. Both had her first job at a cafe, and now he's the lead roaster at Boldine. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Nice. That's awesome. Mm. Super good. Good acidity. It's pretty clean. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. The, what I love about it is that it's really clean, really clean. Just nice clarity. It's not it's not dirty at all. It's got a nice mouth feel. It's yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Mm. And to all Chemex uh, haters, this is not a Chemex. This is a Kalita <laughs> brewer, one eighty five brewer, just the carafe. Yes, yes, that's so. great. Yeah, actually, um, it's probably one of my favorite. Maybe it's because at my first coffee roastery job. This is the brewer that we had at the roastery, and so we would always like brew up, you know, whatever whatever we were roasting the so you know in the roastery. And yeah. I just remember just come in and you just grind up some coffee, brew a little at your own pace. It's not like a cafe where you mm -hmm. go in, you dial in some shots, or you're taking over somebody's, uh, you know, somebody's shift, um, and you're like, dude, let's go. Like no, like you just come into the roastery, brew up a cup of joe you're sipping on it go and do some minor like paperwork some um distribution shipping stuff and it's yeah. great i love it but, yeah it had a very chill vibe yeah so, it, it felt, was a good place yeah it felt uh so having this felt nostalgic and then i got it for my birthday which i was pretty jazzed about um and now i just love brewing with it i'm still kind of getting used to the flat base bottom brewer mm -hmm. i'm a huge long-term chem i'm not a chemix fan um that v60 yeah. brewer kind of person but uh but yeah it's been really interesting experimenting with that but solid boot though yeah i like that on this one i feel like the holes are a little bit bigger on the bottom than a traditional uh kalita yes so. and a couple other things like the mound in the middle of the brewer allows mm -hmm. for the filter to sit higher and so when the water just comes through the filter right away disperses down into like a little valley around the edge Mm -hmm. which then just allows the water to get away instead of like right. what I notice on my normal Kalita wave, the stainless steel one. Um, those are oftentimes, sometimes the filter will clog up the holes yeah, totally. and run into some problems. So yeah. Yeah. But something, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, something that we were just talking about actually earlier today was that like there are some, some complications of buying green coffee um, in general uh, it's it's a pretty it's it's a big job. <laughs> it's got lots of responsibilities with it, but also it, there's uh, there's some difficulties of doing that in a small roasting company setting. Where yeah. first off, we don't have all the budget in the world, but then also we also don't have all the business in the world. Like we're not we don't have you know a hundred wholesale account cafes, and mm -hmm. we're not doing big volumes, so that causes some issues. Um, Give me some of your thoughts. What, what what have you noticed? And yeah, yeah, I think referring to what you just said earlier, like 
the type of business you have and basically the demand for your coffee plays a big role in deciding factor and what green you can afford. So if you're not selling a lot of coffee, you can't have 10 different SOs on your, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Your menu, yeah. you can't you just, one, you can't afford that, but two, your coffee is gonna get old. It's like you roast a batch and if it doesn't sell, what are you gonna do with it after two weeks, right? So there's that struggle and trying to pick, hand pick certain coffees specifically with the idea that you enjoy them, but also the idea that your demographic would enjoy them because you have to sell coffee, right? Um, so there's that tension because every coffee that we cup, we can personally enjoy to a degree but even if we enjoy it, if that coffee doesn't sell, then can't really buy it. You know what I mean? So that's the, that's the tension there. But then on top of that, you want to support certain people, certain importing companies, and you want to help them by buying their coffee and being able to distribute their coffee throughout, yeah. you know, wholesale accounts. But again, if that coffee isn't selling, you can't really do anything about that. And I think that's a pretty big struggle in the deciding factor because we've tasted some amazing coffees but we can't yeah. buy them all yeah for yeah. sure and that's although oftentimes in the specialty coffee niche group of you know the community the specialty coffee community um that's steadily and quickly i think also growing is that like what we, we talk about flavors we want the geishas the naturals the anaerobics yeah. But that's not always feasible. I mean, for bigger companies, that might be doable. Yeah. For us, we kind of have to take a step back and say, hey, how much money do we have? How much money can we spend into it? Or how much yeah. money do we need to allocate to marketing and other things that can grow the business outside of just having spectacular coffee? But those mm -hmm. coffees also cost a premium. Yeah. And they should cost a premium. Yeah. By no means yeah. am I saying they we should be buying coffee you know, they shouldn't be as expensive. They should be because they're great, spectacular coffees. But us, we also have to realize is like, we can't just have, you know, three coffees in our menu and one of those coffees being pretty darn expensive, a geisha, a natural, and have such a big upfront expense. But also, like yeah. you said, like, if we roast, you know, a 10 pound batch and it doesn't sell out in the next two, three weeks, mm -hmm. because it's a little bit more expensive and you know, may not fit the general demographic. Like there's so much conflict and tension and all that, that yeah. we just, you just can't be ignorant to. And you have to actually think about like, be intentional and smart with your co yeah. green coffee buying um, decisions. And so there's a lot of uh, struggles in that. And so even just today, like when we're mm -hmm. ta talking about investing into more green and I actually just got an email from an importer the other week yeah. that said, hey, we have a nice uh, Costa Rican Geisha Natural. Would you yeah. want to pick it up? It's not on the list. Like, yeah. And I'm like, yes, but I don't know if it's feasible right now. I don't know if we're going to be able – I don't know if that's a smart move because we yeah. also need to grow as a roasting company. So, And oftentimes a lot of people will come up to me and be like, hey, when are you guys getting your first Geisha mm -hmm. or, you know, Wednesday anaerobic coffee's coming or – Stuff like that. And I'm like, man, like ASAP, you know, yeah. because I do want them. Yeah. And they're tasty, but that it has to be sustainable and you yeah. got to be smart. So um, apart from, you know, that's a lot of that's like the business aspect mm -hmm. of things. And uh, there's a lot of things that maybe we can cover on a different episode that mm -hmm. goes through a lot of those details and nuances of buying green coffee, working with importers and why we choose to work with specific people but today i want to talk about the fun stuff 
Yeah. The tasty goodness. Like we just talked about Geisha Naturals. Are you a Geisha fan? Of course. They're super interesting coffees. One of my first intriguing experiences at Verve was a Geisha. So, mm -hmm. and it blew me away. It was like, I was like, why am I paying $13 for this pour over? And then I tasted it and I'm like, dude, this is like watermelon juice, like so much complexity, yeah, yeah. so clean. Um, yeah, so definitely a fan. Um, but once again, I, I, I don't even know, like when you have a cupping table and you have a geisha on the table, you have a couple of naturals and then some washed coffees. Um, they're all different and I would say they're all tasty. So how do you cup those coffees and then don't just take that idea of like, man, it's a geisha, I should choose that geisha over a very clean, very good cup of coffee, but it's not a geisha. Yes, yeah. for sure. And actually a funny thing you said that is we've actually cupped and tasted some geisha coffees mm -hmm. that we actually were like, I don't know if I... I can't just, it's not quite there, you know, like yeah. it's not a bad coffee, but yeah. I'm like, we've tasted some washed coffees that were more complex, mm. more beautiful and more that attracted us and draw, drew us through the, to this coffee yeah. than, you know, a geisha natural or, you know, geisha in general just, yeah. and so yeah, geishas are great, you know, and you know, naturals are great and aerobic coffees are great. Honey processed is great. Recently we've actually stumbled across a spectacular honey processed mm. coffee that man uh hopefully will be landing in the roastery in just a matter of months uh but who knows don't want to spill the beans too early um literally figuratively yeah uh but yeah what are so i want to talk about some of the things that we look for in a cupping you know like mm -hmm. you said like how do we how do we cup a lot of different coffees and we get samples uh sometimes we are we're cupping you know, 10, 15 different samples when we're choosing about which coffee to buy. And because we have to be smart with how we're buying coffee, because we're not a big, massive coffee company, we have to be intentional with uh, what what we're buying. Mm -hmm. We have to make every single dollar account for, for uh, the coffees that we're investing in. And so uh, what's, so I wanna talk about um, sweetness, acidity, complexity, mouthfeel, and body. Yeah. Um, but before we just go all out on it, tell me what is some of the characteristics that jump out to you the most and what do you kind of have your ears open to or yeah. your palate open to? Yeah, right off like the bat in the beginning, the dry smells, as soon as I can smell sweetness, it just sticks in my mind. Like there's something about the aromas of like that almost, I don't want to say the stereotype of like chocolatey, but richness. And I think yeah. a lot of the times in my mind, I'm affiliating richness with chocolate because chocolate sauce or syrup is heavy, but there's this richness in the, in the smell. Yeah. And as soon as I smell those dry smells, I mark in my mind, okay, I should, you know, keep my eyes on that. And then second part is basically like the complexity of the smell and the dry smell, especially um, like florals stick out to me a lot. Um, because they're diverse, you know what I mean? It doesn't just smell like a fruit. There's something else going on in there, like a bouquet of flowers, literally, you know, any florals. So dry smells are like my first thing. Like, okay, and I'm making mental, basically like check marks. Okay, that's that, that's that. This is okay. This is very complex. This is 
I don't know, we'll have to figure out later. Yeah, the crazy thing that you're bringing up dry smells um, and smells in general, maybe at the bloom when you're cupping, yeah. uh, the wet smells we call yeah. them. Uh, the crazy thing was that I used to, at my first roastery job, I worked with a guy named Shay, and he's extremely knowledgeable, um, just wonderful guy, so much to learn from him. And I remember cupping him some of the first times and he'll go around, he'll take aroma smells and he has all of his notes. And he's like, yeah, I have all the notes of the coffee. And then, of course, that wasn't the case all the time, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, when we'd go on slurping and sipping and he's like, yep, I got that off the aromas. I got that off the aromas. And I'm like, that's wild. Yeah. The aromas have so much insight into the coffee. Yeah. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, because a lot of that has to do with how we perceive taste. Uh, majority of our perception comes through smell. Like when we smell something, we taste something. That's why you can come up with like, man, that tastes like dirt. Uh, have you eaten dirt or something? You know yes, what I mean? Maybe you yes, have, yes. but you know the smell of dirt. You know yeah. what I mean? That yeah. earthiness. Like it's not necessarily a taste. It's more of a smell, but you can perceive it. Yeah. Or like when we're cupping coffee, then we'll sometimes like, oh man, that smells hay-like. Yeah. Or that tastes hay-like, that tastes green. Like have you yeah. tasted, have you tried anything yeah. green? <laughs> what's, yeah. what's green? green. Well, yeah. we know it's kind of like un that unripe, yeah. you know, on you know, <laughs> lacking a lot of sweetness and color. Yeah. Really, it's like a desaturated taste. Um, yeah, what what else are you looking for? So you did your aromas as we're cupping. Mm -hmm. um, what's next? Yeah, so in cupping, I think the main things are tasting coffee like fairly hot in the beginning of the cupping and then tasting coffees as they cool. That will tell you the quality and the progression of the uh, green. So in the beginning, um, with taste, I follow up with sweetness right away too. Like, does this now, I smelled it, it smelled sweet, but does this actually taste sweet? But that's a fairly general one because sweetness can be um, pretty diverse. You can have mm -hmm. sweet acidity or you can have sweet, quote unquote, bitterness. You know what I mean? Like a dark chocolate versus a milk chocolate. They're in the same category, but one is sweeter than the other, right? Or you can have like a, um, like people compare like a mayor lemon to a regular lemon to a lime. They're yeah. very close, yeah. or grapefruit. They're very close citric acidity, but some of it is sweet, sweeter, the, some of it is a little sharper. You know what I mean? So then tracking that kind of sweetness from there. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know how, I don't yeah. know how well much to say, you know, sweetness is sweetness. And that's, uh, honestly, that's also something that, one of my biggest things that I'm looking out for as well. Like, I love a good sweet coffee. Like if there's, and it's hard to do that with, uh, you know, when you're look, cupping samples. Mm -hmm. That's one of the difficult things about green coffee buying is that when you're sample roasting on a small sample roaster, yeah. a drum roaster, or an Ikawa, which is what we have, it's like that small electric roaster, um, those roasts can only do so much, yeah. you know? And so you can have like a really spectacular uh, sample roast that's mm -hmm. giving you a lot of information that's kind of reproducing the full potential of the coffee but most of the time sample roasts are not the full potential of the coffee you're just getting a glimpse into it and then you kind of have to through tasting through um, you know regularly tasting and cupping mm -hmm. you have to kind of be like oh okay this coffee has more potential yep. we can take this coffee somewhere yep. and sometimes you taste coffees and you're like I don't I just don't quite yeah. see it and the scary thing is sometimes depending on if it's a really great or bad sample roast, you might, you know, push away a coffee that's actually spectacular. Yeah. 
but mm-hmm. on the cupping table, it just turned out pretty bad. Yeah. And that's the scary thing about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when it comes to the other characteristics of coffee, like uh, complexity and clarity, it's another thing, like it could very well be like a bad roast, but you have to like perceive and like, I don't want to say guess, but have this educated understanding of like, okay, that's a roast defect, it's not a green defect. And more or less, you'll switch from cupping for flavor and all that, cupping for defect, which those are two different things. Most Q graders are cupping for defect at origin, where we're cupping to choose a coffee based on flavor or quality of the green. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a little like crossover, but for the most part, they're pretty different. Um, and that's where you can basically understand that, man, this coffee, like you were saying, it has potential or this coffee doesn't. Yeah. So I think from going from like sweetness, the next thing I would be looking for is like body. Um, because those kind of affiliate together, you know, sweeter coffees. Yeah. Um, and this is once again, not absolute, but I feel like sweeter coffees tend to have more body and then follow up with having more aftertaste or that lingering taste. Um, sometimes you walk away from a cupping table and you can still de- taste the coffee in your yeah. mouth. You're like, yeah. I haven't slurped for like five minutes. I oh, still yeah. can taste this coffee. And that's a very, very good coffee in my yeah. eyes. Yeah, for sure. And that's also why I think Oftentimes, you'll see naturals have a bigger body taste to them because they're oftentimes so sweet. They have such a rich, like, like upfront sweet fruitiness to yeah. them that, man, you're like, man, this is really big. As opposed to, you know, maybe more tea-like coffees. Yeah. Which, then again, I, I, I want to kind of transition into... Um, what are you looking for other than sweetness and body? But like, how do you, how do you judge, uh, how do you judge like a natural on the table that's fruity, sweet, you know, upfront in your mm-hmm. face and a tea like delicate, uh, maybe some nice acidity in there. Cause yeah. we've had both of those coffees on the cupping table. Yeah. How- Especially if you're cupping blindly, in my opinion, you can really see the difference between a natural in a washed and i the reason i bring those processing methods up because you said like a natural processed coffee that has more body and then usually like a washed ethiopian has less body is like quote unquote tea like you can spot the difference in clarity like in my opinion a lot of natural coffees they taste great they're they're so like bold hate using that word but you know what i mean they're straight in your face like they hit you with that blueberry flavor that strawberry jam flavor they're so big um but they lack that clarity you know what i mean they're they're all over the place they coat your mouth fully but you can't really distinguish like oh that's that that's that that's that when you take a nice clean washed coffee you're still having a like various flavors jumping all over but they're very distinct you know what I mean? You know you're tasting um, like this coffee. Like I knew I was tasting lemongrass. Yeah. It was pretty distinct. You know, it was different than any Ethiopian naturals that we've been cupping because of that distinct distinction and clarity. For sure. And um, yeah, but I'll, you know, once again, like these are not absolutes. Yeah. You know, especially in the last five years, I think coffee is changing so fast and. There's so many producers out there that are getting so just freaking good at what they're doing and farmers and all of a sudden now you can get strawberry jammy, 
you know, coffees from Colombia yeah. and you can get, you know, chocolatey co- coffees from Africa. Like, yeah. like there's so much things are changing so fast. Uh, but that being said, like, you know, washed coffee, like, you know, naturals can have more body than washed, but washed coffees can have more body than naturals. We've yeah. seen that before, yeah. you know, so being open to the unexpected because mm-hmm. really anything can happen. And I like that you brought up clarity because I would agree, like a lot of naturals, I think, lack that clarity in flavor, um, which for me, I also kind of push that over to complexity when I'm like, oh man, that coffee is just not complex enough. I'm not saying that that coffee doesn't have enough flavor. You know, mm-hmm. it's not sweet enough. No, coffee can be sweet. A coffee can have beautiful body, but the complexity is, is is being able to taste the clarity within. It's like if you were to yeah. take a piece of the pie and cut four pieces and, you know, instead of like grabbing a spatula, that's, you can clearly take out one slice. Mm-hmm. A coffee with like l- less clarity and less complexity, you're taking it off and it's kind of dragging the other pieces off. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, ah, I just want that, yeah. you know, that cup complexity and yeah. the clarity. So. Or it's like buying, you know, that cheesecake from Costco. And it has all the slices of like different flavors, chocolate, you know what I mean? The caramel cheesecake, like all the, all the flavors there and making sure that like every part is distinct on its own. You know what I mean? It has complexity and clarity. And when it has both, that's a very dynamic cup of coffee. You know what I mean? It has a lot to offer. So I definitely value that in like, but I would say that's on my latter side of uh, deciding on a coffee. It's more or less there's like, for me, like a pyramid of like, okay, does it have the basics? And then I start basically guessing on, or not guessing, but taking assumptions of like, okay, this tastes more this way, and this tastes more this way. But it's on the bottom of a pyramid. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not the most important thing. For sure.